This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek, and I'm with Steve Cochran. As always, my amazing uh, British partner that I so appreciate. More, 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 more. Oh, I love more. it. Yeah, come on. Oh, yeah. So, who is not only um, affable, what's the, I don't know what affable means, but that's what I think of when I think of it's you. It's what Americans put in a pie. Yes, that's what I think of with you. <laughs> a big, a big fat pie. Yeah. We... <laughs> yeah. How did your how's Thanksgiving your, how's diet, your diet go? by the way? <laughs> Perfect timing. Uh, you know, it. it uh, I'm. I'm on the whole thirty diet, so I'm doing it with Kelly. Thankfully, my wife's doing it with me. Yeah. And so uh, that it's almost impossible without it. And so it's it's gone really really well. I've lost six pounds. Good feel All right. Just getting ready for Christmas because it's all coming back on. I seem to remember my time in America that basically from pretty much Thanksgiving onwards, it was just like a food food fest. And, uh, it's just a trough. <laughs> Open up and like just pull it, put it in. Yeah. I'm telling you when you, have to, when you have to actually go, okay, I'm not going to eat sugar or bread or you know any of that. Oh my goodness. You realize you're, how limited the menu is. Like there's two items on a menu. Yeah. I'm sure everyone's thrilled to hear about middle-aged men trying to deal with their expanding waistline and travel travel issues. I find, you know, I find it much easier to eat healthily when I'm traveling. If somebody else has made it, I choose the meat and the vegetables. If I'm cooking and the fridge is in front of me, it is just like temptation um, in a way that is just impossible. I've usually eaten one dinner as I prepare dinner, then I eat my dinner, then finish off the kids. So, you know, three dinners a night is not really good for you, apparently. Know yourself, lead yourself. I think the goal is to stay away from having to go up a size, right? And when you when you get yeah. to that point of the belt, yeah, and you're like, oh no, oh no, I've come <laughs> That's down the one. Worst feeling. I, in the I've world. come down one. <laughs> anyway, let, let, let's move on, Jez. This is this is depressing. We're only we're only coming up to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's it's something that I guess we are saying we are knowing ourselves to lead ourselves in realizing our tendencies yeah. Yeah. and our tendencies uh, around food. And so that's one piece of it. Yeah. So no, it's all good today. For the listener, uh, we're excited. Today is Manifesto Day. We're pretty excited about um, 2018. In fact, we have a lot of new little bells and whistles that we're adding mm. to the Liberator podcast for the four and a half million people listening. Um, and so really, really fired up for you all um, who are partaking. Uh, and if you've, been, if you've liked it now, this is very American what I'm about to say, Steve. If you like it now, you're going to love it next year. <laughs> Which puts the pressure on you and I to really take it up to the next level. So, um, therefore, today is Manifesto Day. Mm-hmm. And the way the game is played, the, the game is this. So, Manifesto Day is I'm going to, we're going to base, both have the opportunity of sharing something big, some big idea that you have mm-hmm. that you think the world needs to hear. Okay. So, I want you to take the first stab because uh, that gives me time to make mine up. <laughs> and, um, and so, if you would take the first uh, stab at this, Steve, and yep. kind of go through your manifesto to the listener yep. of what do you want them to hear that you think is so important for them to understand and know. And then, yep. at the end of that, I'll come back in with some Q&A for myself, yep. Yep. and we'll kind of talk about and then I'll get a chance to do it. And then, then, we c- then we'll have a competition from all the people who write in to see which manifesto they thought was more powerful. 
Oh shoot, that, that's that's going to be. Okay. You better get writing. Uh, well, okay. okay, I'm not worried about it. Okay, that's fine. That's good. Because yours is rubbish. Okay, <laughs> I'm joking. Can you imagine? <laughs> that's a cheap shot. So here's here's oh. my big aha for you out there. Okay, the world of work is changing, and the everybody I know is struggling to find a way to make sense of old patterns of the way they used to do things in a world that doesn't seem the same anymore. And my hypothesis for you is this, is that roughly in Western um, liberal, you know, sort of uh, culture, every 250 years or so, there is a technological breakthrough which transforms the whole world of work and disorientates the way the people function. So some of you will go back to 1450. There was a guy called Johannes Gutenberg who invented the printing press. And you may go, well, hang on, how can the printing press be that big a breakthrough? But it took 37 and a half days for one man, and sadly it was a man in those days, to write by hand a book that had 250 pages like a paperback today. So you imagine the printing press brought in basically the information age. Wherever there is a technological breakthrough, there is always resistance because there's always a threat to the status quo and the establishment. So you imagine, if you know your history, you'll find that those who first printed the first books were burnt, and those uh, people tried to burn the books because it was deeply um, unhelpful, they believe, for people to be able to read in their own language, let alone read things like the scriptures. Then we roll it forward. Um, I know you're enjoying this. 1775, uh, a man called James Watt, who had a, a currency unit named after him, um, basically created the first what we call rotary steam engine. It was a very, very simple device. It had 10 horsepower, but it was a massive technological breakthrough because it meant for the first time we were able to build factories away from water where people actually were. So the industrial revolution that began around about the end of the 18th century transformed the world of work for the next 230 years. And then, very, very recently, and this is why the disorientation is so real for us, in 1990, a gentleman called Tim Berners-Lee, who didn't make as much money as some of the early pioneers, but basically he typed those letters, which basically have changed all of our lives, WW dot, in 1990. So, ushering in what we are calling the digital age. Now, if you think about it, that process is only 27 years on, but we are already in a world that is so different from what it was before. So the five largest companies in the world didn't exist before the digital age. So just imagine, now if you were born after 1982, then you are fortunate because you are what we call a digital native. You were actually born into an era where all of the tools of the digital world were present. For those of us who are slightly older, and I certainly include Jeremy and I in that one, we have had to learn how to manage a cultural transition where our skill set, our knowledge, our expertise, and our training was in a world that no longer exists in the same way. So you're seeing this huge challenge to leaders. How do you be a liberator for people in a world which is radically different and where most people are fighting to stay alive? So I'm going to give you the five challenges which I would believe are the most profound that every leader, every organization, every team is having to deal with. And I'm going to give you Lexi's to rank them in the end. So here it is. The first is, in the new world, as we move from industrial to digital age, how do you maintain any sense of healthy work-life balance when the world is now 365 days, 24-7, and digital? 
So the idea being is you used to be able to finish work when you left the office and go home, or you used to be able to go away on holiday or go home for the weekend. Now, um, most leaders are having to deal with the fact that if you work with a global company, people are working while you're asleep, even when you're away, people expect you to be on and maintaining. So how do you deal with that incredible challenge when industrialism says you go to the factory, you finish, when the reality is now people are having to manage work 365, 24-7. So that's the first challenge that all of you, all of us are dealing with, and I'm just explaining why. The second is this. Leaders are having to learn to lead through influence, less positional power. So in industrialization, you have very hierarchical organizations. You have seniority based usually on time served. And basically, once you got to be in charge, you told everyone what to do. So very much command and control, very much the idea the benign dictator was usually your best option. In the new world, leaders are having to lead through influence. They're, people are looking for a coach, not just a boss. They're looking for someone who's prepared to calibrate support and challenge to truly create an environment where they can be at their best. And so lots of leaders are having to learn how to lead in the new world when the structures are flatter, when the reality is a lot of the people who are coming up as the younger generations don't see the world of work in the same way. So third one, you ready for your third one? I'm ready. It's all about how do people increasingly learn and engage with communication in the new world. So industrialization was very much a word-based, oral um, time of life. You know, great orators, great speakers, people used to read a lot, people used to memorize information. Basically, the great orators were the entertainment in the 19th century. Nowadays, people's concentration span is drastically reduced and we live in a world where your communication and the way you engage with your teams, with your clients, with people beyond you has to be what we say visual, interactive, and with rapid practical application. So if you're sending long emails, by the way, um, the chances of people reading them are virtually nil. And if you're standing up and delivering a monologue of information, within five to seven minutes, most people have tuned out to what you say because we're so used now to things being visual. And by interactive, I mean, how do I get a chance to apply this to my life? So we're having to break up our keynotes to get the audience talking to each other because it, it has to be visual interactive and they have to be able to see a rapid practical application. Does this make a difference to me right now? If it is, I'm engaged. If I don't see an immediate application, there is so much content coming through my world, so much demand of my time, I don't engage with it. Fourth one, um, in the industrial age, people used to recruit talented individuals and they would often create a competitive culture even within a team where basically you know you, you you had talented people competing against each other the new world the digital world really is having to focus on how do we build agile collaborative teams who solve problems together the reason being is no one individual can know all the information anymore there's no such thing as one individual that can solve most of the challenges and problems that teams and organizations are dealing with today. And we also live in a world where information is more or less free because you don't have to memorize everything anymore. Siri, Wikipedia, Google almost create that context. And I think that's going to be one of the, the most profound changes that we're seeing in our world. How do you build a collaborative team 
where the sum of the parts is greater than the sum of the individuals, when the industrial mindset is you recruit talented individuals, they might be pieces of work, but they're so good, you can effectively build them and use them where they are. And then the last challenge is this. We now live in a world of work which is digitally connected, but increasingly geographically dispersed. So how do you, how do you lead team and organization when they don't all come to the same factory at the same time every day? How do you deal with the fact a lot of teams come together for a very short period of time? You often have remote teams working together. You often have people who work and may not have seen each other physically for an extended period of time. How do we deal with work in a world where teams are not the same as they used to be and where basically people are increasingly going to be remote working and working from different parts of the world and how you do that is going to be one of those great challenges. So there's your five. How do you do healthy work-life balance in the 365, 24-7 digital world? How do you learn to lead through influence, not positional power? How do you understand that communication and learning has to be visual, interactive, rapid, practical application? How do you build winning, agile, collaborative teams rather than talented, competitive individuals? And how do you function and lead well in a world which is digitally connected, but the people you work with and lead are often now geographically dispersed? The leaders, I would say, and this is my manifesto challenge to you, in every transition, there is always uncertainty and there is always winners and losers because in the end, it takes time for the new normal to settle down. And it's my belief that if you are a leader who actually will address these challenges and get ahead of the curve, then basically you have the chance to establish something in a, in a new world that actually means you will lead the teams and the organizations that everyone wants to work for because there is a new leadership required in a new world and increasingly the old ways of what we did, it's not they become redundant, but they will connect less and less with the people who are coming into the workforce and the thing that is absolutely guaranteed, we will never go back to an industrial mindset, but we will increasingly have a world that are absolutely fluent in the digital way of looking at it. Here endeth my manifesto. Good job, man. Thank you. Very, very, very good. So the challenges of leading in the digital age, and, I, and it is, we're moving into the digital age. Um, Steve, if you put those back up, I want to go through a couple of things. Um, so the, 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 the question that, that I had specifically um, was, like, let me, let me walk through one of the clients that we have in the giant world that, that we've been working on, and I know that it is, is uh, currently having some issues. The issue of healthy work-life balance in a 365, this person I'm thinking of, he is um, constantly at the beck and call of the CEO, and he feels that pressure of I need to prove himself because he's a little bit insecure. Mm. He, um, it's interesting. He's allowing the CEO to basically drive his life. So any text, anyone, whatever he's doing, he's just, or if a text comes in, it's almost triggering him. And I'm watching this guy have an unhealthy balance with friendships and his, his wife and his wife kind of rolled her eyes the last time I was with him because he was so fixated on, like he was tethered in essence. So the challenge is, I mean, that's a challenge. Well, part of it is the re maybe he's not set the right boundaries or this person is insecure. So there's all types of things that you could walk people through. But I think what you just did there is you basically gave a manifesto to give people to think, where are they? 
Hmm. So if I went through this this list, or if or if an executive or if anyone went through this list to go, number one, how's your work life balance? Yes or no, or one through ten, right? And you could give them, or which one are you struggling with the most? Well, some teams might be, you know what? We have no digital. We're all geographically connected. We're not digitally dispersed. So we are all connected, so it's easier for us. Well, that might be the case for them and that company, but for their clients, for everyone else dealing with them, right? Um, so I think it's really, really interesting that you could actually go through this, your manifesto, and actually do a uh, assessment on yourself mm-hmm. and find out what you what you feel uh, is going on with you. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. I think, you know, just get... I've done it a couple of times with different groups, and I ask people, what is the biggest challenge you're currently facing? Uh, what's one and two? And in every group of people, um, at least one person has chosen each one of those things each time. So what they're showing is those really are the issues. They may not be as live for different contexts, as you say, but they are real. And I think that's the interesting thing. of It's interesting how that idea of visual interactive, rapid practical application, which has really been the foundation, I think, of how we've tried to build Giant, what I didn't realize, Jez, and this would be us claiming to be clever um, in a way that would be unfair, we've actually spent the last five years building solutions to these five challenges because, in effect, the giant business we built actually has been built in the digital age and for the digital age. And if you would have really pushed me, I'd say that in some ways we are trying to create solutions for the leaders and the teams and the organizations that are actually trying to address these specific issues. I hadn't seen it before, but when I put it up and I share them like I have, you actually realize we've been doing these things and learning how to do these things. And we keep saying, why is no one else doing this? The answer is, of course, we are at the very front end of a technological revolution. So a lot of other people didn't start when we did. Therefore, they're still carrying a lot of the legacy of the industrial mindset and actually haven't been forced into a full evolution of going, um, what does digital look like and how do you live and lead? So that really is, I think, quite exciting, but also um, it's a challenge the whole world is dealing with right now. And I think the key word there for me as I look is agile. Just thinking, in essence, it's what uh, what does agility look like? And the, the teams that win, the organizations that win, actually are agile. And mm. all, so that that's a that's a great manifesto. Thank you, very very good. All right, uh, I'm up. You ready for me? Come on, bring it. You you might need some tissues. You might want to go and get those now for you. If yeah. You need, are you, um, you, you going to go after my heartstrings again? <laughs> I'm going to show you a picture of a just a really tender movie. I'm going to start <laughs> with that and then walk you through and see. Oh, if that's you horrible. Crying. That's horrible. Old Tell yeller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Go for it. Okay, so here, here's my here's my manifesto. What if I told you that your biggest nemesis in life is actually you? That you are the biggest nemesis in your life. And that you have an opportunity to actually change that and work on it if you become intentional. But if you don't, you might continue to sabotage yourself. So what I've realized in dealing with executives for I don't know how many years, just over and over and over, and not, not just executives, just people, just counseling and consulting and coaching and listening, is that, that there's a view of most people, they're always blaming someone else for issues, 
but they're not seeing what it's like to be on the other side of themselves, that their real nemesis is themselves. They actually are sabotaging themselves. They're undermining themselves. Now, some people know they're doing it and some people don't know they're doing it. So those who don't know they're doing them have a lack of self-awareness. And that lack of self-awareness is driving everyone else around them crazy. So their biggest nemesis is simply their lack of controlling themselves, whether it's discernment, discretion, whether it's it's a look or a style or what have you. But then there are, are another category, the category that know that they are, those are deeper issues. Those are people who are actually dominating themselves. So what takes place is when they're dominating themselves, they start to demean or sabotage themselves by self-speak. So it's what they're saying to themselves. And I see it over and over and over again. I'm dealing with one person right now in particular. And she basically is telling herself all day long that she doesn't belong in her position. She feels like she's she's told me that and asked me not to share that. You know, and I'm, I'm sharing it now, but no one knows this person. But to go, she doesn't believe that she belongs in that in that seat. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You really do belong. You're really good. But she's not believing herself. So she's actually sabotaging herself. She's she's dominating herself. And that's actually affecting her. So it's almost a, um, a full circle because she's telling herself she's not good enough. And then when that does, her actions sometimes don't show to the level. And then she says, yeah, see, I'm not good enough. Versus a self-speak of like, you know what? I actually deserve to be here. I'm actually good. So I'm going to act like I belong. So the the manifesto is this big idea that at times there's tendencies in the way that we talk about ourselves to ourselves, and those tendencies actually affect us to such a degree that, that it creates an, uh, an action and a consequence. So if I myself think, oh, I'm just not good at writing. I just can't write. I'm just, someone else should be doing this. Well, I'm already at a disadvantage because I'm basically taking myself out by telling myself something so that pattern of behavior creates an action that actually creates a consequence of not being as good as because I've taken myself out even before I started. So what's really interesting is there's, a, there's an old proverb that says, um, uh, don't lean on your own understanding. And the idea of leaning on your own understanding, and I see it over and over again. I tell people at times, don't believe yourself right now, especially if you're in stress or you're in strain. Do not listen to yourself because what you tell yourself will not be accurate. You need to get a different perspective. You need to see it differently. So the concept of uh, you being your biggest nemesis, it shows up primarily in um, stories about Mount, Mount Everest and people climbing Mount Everest. And the interesting part is what happens is because of the altitude and what the altitude, the lack of oxygen starts making people um, see things. And when they start seeing things, they start, uh, you know, their consequences of that are they start changing. Oh, my goodness, my my uh, valve isn't working or I should go down. Or, and so they, be, they become very irrational in their behavior. And the Sherpas that are with them know this and they're constantly telling them to do the simple things. No, no, no. Meet me up there, that flag. Or meet me up at the next peak. Or just go the next little step. So the idea that most leaders, in essence... They actually, um, half of the world, well, I don't know if this is true, but a large portion of the world actually demean themselves and take themselves out and sabotage themselves even before they get started. So they haven't even started climbing and they're telling themselves negative things. So the chances of success are going to go down. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other group that, that just aren't aware 
of their own actions, right? And so they are a nemesis to themselves and they can be dangerous. And so what happens on the mountain too is you'll hear stories of Sherpas saying someone thinks he's way better than he really is and he thinks that they can, he can do or she can do more than they can and so they're putting everyone else at risk. So it's this uh, idea of are you, are you conscious or unconscious? But if you're conscious of your limitations, and some people take that too far, and they actually start demeaning themselves and dominating themselves so much so that they turn themselves red, and they start causing themselves all types of issues. So if you're not healthy, then you'll believe a, a lie, and you'll live out that lie, uh, and it'll take you down the wrong road. Um, and so I guess my, my manifesto is this. When you look in a mirror... Can you get to the point where you really start to understand when yourself is telling yourself bad ideas or giving yourself bad counsel? And can you actually tell yourself, I don't believe that. That's not true. And by doing that, you kind of create a boundary and a wall up so that you're not leading yourself down the wrong road or sabotaging yourself. Or if you're on the other side and unconscious about it, do you, do you really, can you really get to the point where you know yourself so well that you start seeing that you do have Braca in your teeth and it's not anyone else's issue, it's mine, and I'm actually going to do something about it. So it's this fine line of being insecure and over-secure. It's almost like properly secure. So a properly secure person is someone who understands what's really going on who gives themselves some grace, knows they're going to screw up, gives them themselves the right expectation level, but they know their tendencies enough and they see a pattern before it happens and they don't fall for the wrong action. They fall for the right action. And the right action produces the right consequence and the right consequence shapes the reality. And so we have a tool that we use and it's basically the liberator tool. And the tool says that liberators fight for the highest possible good in the lives of those they lead. What I would say here in this manifesto is to say, can you get to the point where you fight for the highest possible good of yourself? And that might sound a little selfish. Uh, it's not. Uh, some people might go, ah, I don't, I don't do that well. I, that that sounds too much for me. But the reality is, how are you leading yourself in the way that you eat? How are you leading yourself in the way that you sleep? How are you eating, uh, leading yourself in the way that you treat yourself and think on yourself and plan for your day and so on and so forth? Do you need more support or more challenge right now? Well, lately I've needed a little bit more challenge on eating. And so I put it in my life with my wife and accountability partner, Whole30. That was for me to go, yeah, I needed some challenge. And that was, that was appropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, what's undermining my own, my influence? Do I see it? And how do I get to the next level? And so fighting for the highest possible good in the lives of those they lead is a key component. I have a good friend named Ford Taylor, and I like what he says. He says, some people, um, they hit a wall, and when they get to that wall, they don't, they don't uh, realize, so they, they want to immediately go back. They don't realize it wasn't a wall, it was a step. And it needed to climb to get to the next level and then run to the next wall and then climb again. And so this whole idea of fighting for the highest possible good of yourself means you learn how to calibrate support and challenge for yourself. You learn what's undermining yourself and you start helping yourself get to the next level. And I think that can be done in a healthy way, not in a selfish way. So that's my, my manifesto, to fight for your highest possible good for yourself so that you don't lean on your own understanding when you're telling yourself negative things or maybe when you're not seeing what it's like to be on the other side of yourself.
Thoughts? It's good. It's good. It's very good. Uh, I think the um, one of the exercises that we do as a team, which I always find um, supportive and challenging, is almost where we, we do a liberator exercise with each other, where for each person around you, you go, what are the three things I really want to affirm and encourage? And these are the behaviors and the patterns and the tendencies I see. I think they're fantastic. Keep at them. But if you were going to go to the next level, here's the one thing that I would encourage you to work on. So I still I still have my list of the things we did in Atlanta at our partners retreat in June, where everyone around the room was, I know you think I'm fine, so that's good. So I feel secure, I feel confident. And but being able to receive from my friends and my peers, Steve, if you want to go to the next level, this is one of the things we'd love you to work on. That takes a lot of confidence, but I think it adds perfectly to what you're saying in terms of going, how do we keep fighting for each other's highest possible good? And how do we keep calling people up, not out? Well, in this case, though, how do you do what you just said for yourself? Because that was yeah. the manifesto. Yeah. This is not what other people say about you. This oh, is right. great. This is what are you saying about yourself? Okay. So if, if you were to do that same exercise, mm-hmm. but to tell what what is it? So what are you saying to yourself mm-hmm. in your head? That's the most important part. That was, that was what I'm trying to convey. So most of us then would say something like, oh, you don't belong, or you're too fat, or, oh, yeah, your belt, whatever it is. And there's these little self-demeaning moments in a given day that actually take us out. So if we know that and we actually put some boundaries, so uh, what voice is in your head that you should no longer believe because it's not true? Mm. But that And that's that fine line of being insecure and over-secure, right? So it's good. Good. Any other comments? No, I'm going to go and do the exercise. I think that'd be really useful. So, what are yeah, the yeah. things? What are the things I can affirm in me? Because that stops me using the limiting beliefs. Um, but what are the things that I probably need to work on, and honestly, to be a liberated to myself? So that's good. I like it. So today, for all of those in in the liberating uh, leader world that are really trying this, um, and in fact, it's funny because we talked to a lot of you who listen to this and who have told us some good things. Keep it up. If you have any comments or thoughts, um, then then please share. And if you have any topics that you want us to talk about or any questions mm-hmm. uh, in our 2.0 uh, 2018 podcast plan, we have all these bells and whistles that we plan to incorporate even more uh, feedback that we're getting. But what we're really after is just this journey, and we want to encourage you and continue uh, to be on, to continue to be on the journey of liberation, to uh, calibrate, support, and challenge of those you lead, to really look at people intentionally, to be consistent, to understand that to fight for the highest possible good means that you're you're really uh, like a green thumb. You're helping people grow. So that's our hope, and uh, we wish you the best. And we'll see you the next time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.